This is the Software and Technology Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you information, education, and inspiration, only on MarketScale. The more diversity of thought of the people working at tech companies, the better. The blockchain idea was around 91, the same idea of in the digital world, we need verifiable documents. Hey everyone, welcome into the podcast today. I'm your host, Tyler Kern. Satisfied customers are something that everybody wants, but how do you get there? With many contact centers and customer service representatives working from home these days, how can you make sure that you're driving in the right direction? Well, here to answer these questions and provide his expert insight and perhaps surprise you with how he, how he differs from the opinion of a lot of other people is Brandon Knight. He's the VP of Business Development for Tolaris. Brandon, thank you so much for being here. Awesome, Tyler. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I'm, I'm excited to talk to you today, Brandon, because you've said something that I think a lot of people will find very surprising. You say that the golden <laughs> rule isn't a good customer service principle. First of all, define what you mean by the golden rule for anyone who isn't familiar with that. And then also maybe explain why it's not a good customer service principle. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, I'll start with the golden rule and I actually uh, commend you for, for having me explain it because I do this conversation worldwide. And I found out uh, when I was overseas, the golden rule is, is the man with the gold makes the rules. And that's not the one I'm talking about. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I learned not to assume. Now, this is the golden rule, I'm assuming, that, that some of us learned in, in Sunday school when we were kids, right? Exactly right. Okay, exactly okay. right. And that, and that is treat others the way you want to be treated. And there are a lot of businesses. I would say that the um, majority of businesses that have a customer-centric focus is based on them treating customers the way they want to be treated. And while it sounds good, uh, I honestly have a, have, a, have a really kind of almost like a duh, like a no nonsense, which will help you understand why it's not a good idea. And uh, anyone who's in a, a healthy relationship, you know, I'm, 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 I'm happily married, but I'm a different type of person. I think differently. I act differently. I interact differently. If I treated my wife the way I wanted to be treated, probably wouldn't last too long. You know, so right. one, one of the things that I've been teaching, and I think it's kind of where the golden rule was going, but people stopped short of it, is better customer service, a better customer experience is treating the customer the way they want to be treated. So my biggest thing against, the, against treating someone the way you want to be treated is they're not you. It's just that simple. They're yeah. not you. They don't think like you. They don't act like you. They, they don't express, you know, I'm a guy who... I, I like to text, don't necessarily like talking on the phone, don't necessarily like, I, I like to be in person or text. I very rarely answer my phone. If I built a customer service business based only on texting, probably wouldn't be that successful, but that's, <laughs> how, but that's what I like, right? Right. So that's my approach to that. I, I think I understand, I understand the, the golden rule, but I, I, I think people fall woefully short if, if that's your only guiding principle in customer experience. That's a really, really interesting way of thinking about it. And, you know, to, to your example, uh, you know, about being married, I, I'm also married and have been uh, for a little while now. And one of the things that that occasionally I do at my house, and this might not be the best idea, but occasionally when my wife asks me something, I'll respond in the exact same tone that I feel like she asked me. And she doesn't like it when I when I do that. <laughs> right? That's and all so, bad. That's, yeah. that's, all, that's all bad, Tyler. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I, th I think that's an example of, of just sometimes, 
you, you have to understand how that person wants to be communicated with. So I guess in, in this context for which we're speaking in terms of business, how do you get to the root of understanding how somebody wants to be communicated with? I, I think that's a great point. And I'll take it right from, from what you said, um, even about your wife, right? I, I had to learn how does my wife like to communicate? I will, I will tell you in verbal communication, I'm, very, I'm from the Northeast. I'm very direct. Uh, not a lot of emotion attached to it. Whether we're talking about building a contact center or solving world hunger, I'm probably going to have the same tone, same communication style. My 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 wife, uh, if I if I put her in a view of a of a the perspective of a customer, she likes more of the how did you get here before you could before you can require action of her. She she needs to understand more of the why behind mm-hmm. what you want from her. So if you look at that in a customer perspective, you have you have customers, um, let's say you wanna you wanna sell to a customer. You have some customers that will walk into a store or go online, they know what they want, they've already done their their research and they're and they're there to just buy it. That's me. I'm gonna walk in a store, pick up the one thing I want. I'm not gonna be swayed by anything else you have in a store, buy the thing and leave. You have you have other customers that are gonna want to know where where did the product come from? Where was it manufactured? What are what do comparative products like it look like? How long does the product last? What what warranty? What service do you provide on on the product? And when it comes to interaction with the customer, the omnichannel experience and I, and I hate to go with the the generational thing, but it's the the one that most people understand. Mm-hmm. If you start talking about traditionalists and baby boomers who are more used to picking up a phone, having a verbal conversation with someone. If you contrast that to what most people think about millennials, they're more apt to use their phones to do business. They want they want mobile apps. They want to text. If they do want to interact with you, they go on your website. And if they're on your website, they don't want to have to call you. They want to resolve everything on your website or chat. So I think when it comes to the customer experience, it's important that companies have all of those different ways to interact, right? Because if I just, like I said before, if I just went with my way, my I would have a, a, an online store, a web-based business where you had to do everything online, no toll-free number, no customer service, no interaction. And if you really wanted something, you could chat with me on my website. Mm-hmm. And you know what I mean? That would narrow my business. So that that's how I look at it. When you, when you apply it to the customer experience, it's how many different ways can you offer different types of customers to interact with you? And then and then adapt to it. Yeah, no, that that's really fascinating and, and a really interesting way of, of looking at things. And I, I think that's I think that's a great point because I'm I'm similar. I want to be able to, you know, when <laughs> let's say I want to you know get out of my current cable contract or something like that. I don't want to have to call somebody to do that, right? Exactly. You know, that's that's just the person that I am. I, I would rather not have to talk to a, cons- a customer service rep and answer questions about why I don't want these channels anymore. Or so, yeah, you know. Yes. Not a conversation you want to have. And you know who's, who, who took it to the extreme? And they're really one of the examples that I use. I'm old enough to remember that, you know, before eBay and Amazon and stuff, you, there were infomercials that came on late at night. And if you ordered something, it would take six to eight weeks. And if you paid for expedited shipping, you could get it in like 20 days or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and when, when, when uh, these online things came out, they were very much like that. You know, most people think Amazon Prime, I mean, Prime started with Amazon, but it didn't. When Amazon first came out, they were a regular online shopping place that you had to wait the expected manufacturer, you, you know, time to get something. But their customers 
started um, pushing and showed a desire to pay for shorter shipping times because that was the desire of someone who went online. It was, I can go into the store and buy this uh, right and have it right now. So if you want to compete with me not going to the store, I'm no longer going to wait three weeks, six weeks, eight weeks to get something. So that that is an example of a company that adjusted not to how they want to do business or how their industry was set up, but they adjusted to how the customer wanted to do business and, and by, by adjusting their shipping. And you can't argue with Amazon success at this point. That's a very good point. And, and, and I, I see what you mean about casting the widest net possible, right? And so when you have all of these different avenues, then people are available to choose the one that best suits their communication style and what they're looking for, you know? And so if you want to be able to call and get somebody directly, you can do that. Or if you want to just interact with the website, you can do that. If you want to go through social media, things along those lines, that all of those avenues are available. So then the customer has the freedom to choose what makes them the most comfortable, which then puts them in a position where they're already, I suppose, happier with that method of communication. So they feel good going into that conversation as opposed to, uh, I don't want to call in the first place. (laughs) <laughs> but now I have to, right? Exactly, exactly right. And and you nailed it. Even with your with your with your cable company, you know, we see that a lot in the financial industry with with banks and stuff. Um, just because of the nature of what they're doing, most people, you know, years ago, you went into a bank, you sat down, there was a customer service person there, you had a direct conversation with them to either open an account or or talk through what you wanted or make a change. And now people now people view it as a um, you know as a drawback or a negative if I have to physically go into a bank to do to do business. You know we want to be able to to open accounts online and all those types of things. Right, right. I I, I want to be able to do it all through the app. You know. Exactly. Yeah. There's a there's a convenience factor to that for sure. Now there's another side to this that uh, that you say is really important that I want to dive into also, and that's the idea of employee satisfaction uh, from a contact center point of view. So talk to me about how employee satisfaction plays a major role in driving that customer satisfaction that everybody's looking for. Everybody wants that happy customers, but how does that start really with happy employees? Yeah, that's a that's a good point, and I'll tell you there's an unfortunate thing that we notice happening in contact centers um, and the customer experience. And and so I'm gonna I'm gonna give you that scenario because it's it's sad but it's it's true. The the person in the in the customer service or sales role uh, in your contact center, for a lot of your customers are going to be the only impression of your company they have. Mm-hmm. They're your frontline people. They're the ones answering the phone. Most of your customers will not get to speak to executive leadership and those types of things. So what most companies have done, unfortunately, and to their detriment, is They've taken the person or the people, the group of people with the biggest impact on their customer and and they've put them in dark, massive rooms to work in in close working conditions and controlled the amount of breaks they have and scheduled when they can go to lunch and pay them the least amount of money and still expect them to deliver this level of world-class service they're talking about. Well, it didn't take long, you know, all these are human beings. It didn't take long for them to figure out. Um, and we noticed this, we, we, we called it the, um, the morale recession that the contact center industry went through in the late 80s, early 90s. And it, it lasted almost up into the early 2000s, where employees started figuring out that they felt that there was a lot of emphasis on the customer and the company put the customer ahead of them. You know, and and they and they went through a thing. We went we went through a, a about a decade and a half, almost two decades, 
where attrition in the context in our space was averaging 69, 70%. You know, and when you, when you look at the costs associated with acquiring, um, you know, recruiting and screening and hiring an employee and then training them, especially in some of these environments where, you're, where there's licensed agents in healthcare and finance, and then they're turning over seven out of 10 inside of a year, you know, inside of, inside of two years, just because of the working conditions. We, we began, uh, I'd, I'd say earnest conversations began about 2004, 2005 on the importance of changing and moving from a KPI metrics driven operation to a customer centric one call resolution operation. And what that meant was treating your, your employees better. Ironically, employees list, even though attrition contact centers is still high, it's, it's about average is about 29, 30% right now. Some of the more volatile industries are still in the high, high 50s. But on all the reports where employees list why they leave in the contact center, the number one thing they list is supervisor. They list, they didn't, they didn't like who they work for, for one word, one thing or another. The second thing they list though, is lack of empowerment or lack of tools to do their job successfully. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And that's worldwide. That is the, that is the number two thing that, that they um, list. And so we're finding that where, where these employees were not, you know, in a good work environment, but they were still bringing their heart to work. They were still coming to work with a desire to do well and simply getting frustrated that they didn't have the tools and resources to successfully do their job. So for the companies that figured that out, the companies that really made the shift to one call resolution and customer centric versus tracking average handle time and talk time and things like that, those companies we've seen really, really skyrocket. The companies like, like um, Amazon and, and Google and Nordstrom and Zappos, companies that, that don't call, uh, you know, like Disney, they don't, they don't call their agents agents. They don't, they don't use adherence to track the amount of time they're on the phone. They became more flexible with when an agent could, you could come to work and when it could go home and allow them to swap time with other agents and swap work with other agents. The ones that really embrace that and uh, Gartner put out a um, you know a study called the the Gallup Twelve. I'm not Gartner Gallup uh, Twelve, where they can now rate the engagement level of your employee base. Mm-hmm. Those companies are doing phenomenal, phenomenal. I think there was a report. I haven't seen it this year. I think the last time I saw it was probably about two years ago. But I used to look at it every year, where there was something like eighty five percent of the Fortune 1000 companies had a 75% engagement rating amongst their, their contacts and employees or greater. So, so not only are we talking doing the right thing for the employees because they're, they're, they're happy, we're talking a direct impact on your bottom line, you know, on, on the right. revenue generated. So it was, it's, it's a phenomenal thing. I will tell you it's, it's easier said than done. Sure, sure. Because there's, there's money and, and focus and effort that goes into creating a, a culture like that. And then if you, if you add our recent thing that we have facing us, now you're talking about not only am I putting time, money, and effort into creating this culture, now I have to figure out how I can duplicate this culture when my employee is at home. Mm. I no longer have them sitting all in one big building where I can just walk and see them. So, so that has kind of compounded the, the concern or the, or the issue a little bit, but it's well worth taking up. 
as well was checking up. I mean, we we've seen it, like I said, a morale increase and and, and ROI. You know, I I think that that speaking to that larger company culture topic, I think is is really important. And one of the things that I've noticed just in having conversations with people is that it feels like there are often times where companies try to take shortcuts to creating a, a positive company culture. Um, shortcuts that would involve, you know, uh, just, I suppose, kind of surface level things that don't speak to the actual needs of the employees, right? And the things that, like you were mentioning, that matter most to them, Mm -hmm. like having the tools to do their jobs well, having the flexibility to make sure they have a good work-life balance and and things like that. You often see companies that think, okay, if I just have a ping pong table, then I appear fun (laughs) and then everybody's happy. (laughs) I was going to say that, Tyler. Right? I mean, we laugh about it, but but it's sad. Some some, and, and, and you're right, we're talking enterprise level, uber enterprise level companies whose approach to culture is a ping pong table or free lunch on Friday or a, you know, I got a, um, not, not water guns, but Nerf guns or, or I mean, I've, I've seen all kinds of things that mm-hmm. I've, I've literally traveled all over the world. I do customer focused, you know, training for, for companies and the, the, and some of them, ironically, these were not off the cuff ideas. Some of them actually had had focus groups internally, but the, the 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 issue was for most of them is they created a focus group to figure out how to drive their culture. Only the focus group was made up of everyone that was in leadership. <laughs> you know, so yes. so that so that goes back to the treat people the way you want to be treated. If you allow leadership, okay, it's important to have them be a part of it. But if lead, but if the entire committee. Or, or the group that's driving the culture is made up of leadership, then you're going to get things that would matter to leaders. You're not going to get things that matter to the the frontline employees or the masses that have to do the work, you know. Um, and that's what we that's what we've seen a lot of, you know. Like you said, ping pong tables and and casual days and and pizza on Tuesday, which are which are good things, mm-hmm. but. When you're when you're doing, um, you know, if I'm doing my job, I'm sitting here at at home. And um, uh, earlier, two weeks ago, I had a problem with my 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 camera. I think for whatever reason, you know, my camera was okay when I was home every now and then, but it wasn't set up for me to be home during a pandemic, doing seven hours of video all day. So <laughs> right. so it got tired. It didn't want to work anymore. I actually did a uh, a kind of lunch and learn that week. And it was really it was really cute because the, the the company arranged for pizza to be delivered to everyone's home since we obviously weren't in the office and that was a really nice thing but you know what really impacted me during that week is after the it team logged into my system and tr- tried to troubleshoot what was wrong and couldn't fix it they overnighted me a new speaker a new microphone and a new camera to actually help me do my job better wow yeah you see so that way more valuable to me i mean the pizza was great and it, and it and and it does contribute to the culture, but but having a culture where where the IT team does what they what they can to help fix it remotely, and when they can't, they just say, "Hey, start over, use this stuff, send us back the other stuff, we'll figure it out." That type of morale boost. Yeah, and you know, I, I don't want to discount the importance of pizza because pizza plays a large role in my life. But yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> that's that's you know that's that's the cherry on top when the rest of everything else is in place, right? Um, th- those are the types of things 
that when you already have, when you've built that company culture where employees feel valued and you're meeting those needs and really hitting on all the things that, that are important to them, then the pizza on top becomes a, a nice thing rather than a Band-Aid to try to cover over the fact that, that you don't have any idea in the, the rest of the business just how to build that culture and how to you know properly show that you value your employees. It is important. Icing is good and it's the part that everyone sees, right? What the cake is decorated by. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. if you cut the cake open, and, and it's, it's not cooked right or it's not a flavor that you like, people don't go around saying, hey, that icing was great. They say that was a bad cake. I'm not eating any more of that, right? Right. <laughs> so, right. And I think that's the, that's, the, that's the right approach to business. We, we want to have those extra things. We want to have those icing things. But you, your frontline employees, your middle of employees, and to a lot of degree, even your executive staff, they, they want to have the cake made well. They, they want to have the cake made according to recipe and they want to be able to do their job. And, you know, even even that's kind of funny. I mean, we don't hear much about this nowadays, but I actually consulted during a time in the late 90s, early 2000s, when even almost to the mid 2000s, where companies really thought their, their approach to the people that were delivering customer service, their approach to the contact center people was that they were all bad and they were all just trying to not do their jobs. They didn't want to take phone calls. And the reason you had to have adherence because they never want to be at their desk. I've, I've talked to, I mean, I've consulted for large organizations. You know, we, we say, you know, talk about creating a culture, but their actual approach was they were okay with the attrition. They were looking to get rid of people because they, they're, they're, their approach was that the people didn't want to work. You know, and, and I spent a good amount of time educating leadership on there's no one that wakes up in the morning, goes through the trouble of figuring out what they want to wear, get dressed, dealing with their, their spouse or kids or whoever's at home, making the commute to work with all the craziness involved in that and right. walking in the door going, I'm going to do a crappy job today, you know? Yeah, yeah. But even changing people's mindsets to understand that regardless of a person's end performance, they didn't start out that way. They came in wanting to do well, wanting to be successful. So if someone is performing, if they do have low morale, it's probably worth having a conversation and not just assuming that they just, they're just bad at their job or they want to be bad. Yeah, no, that, that, that's a really good point. And uh, earlier you hit on something that I think is, is also worth discussing in, in a little bit more detail. And that is the idea that just given the, the pandemic and, and everything going on around coronavirus and COVID-19, one of the things that um, ha- has come up a lot is the fact that people are working from home more often. So one of the things I want to talk about is just how to maximize that employee satisfaction and how to still engage with your employees in a way that's positive, in a way that you know reinforces these things like what we've talked about during work from home. And it, I, I suppose it's even possible that uh, that a lot of companies see the benefits of working from home and move to a model that looks more like that in the future, um, regardless of whether or not there's a global pandemic. So, you know, what, what kinds of things and what kinds of suggestions do you have for companies that do look more like that, that maybe have contact center people that are working from home and working remotely? How can they still show value and, and show uh, care for those employees in a way that makes yeah. sure that they're, they're satisfied and, and that their needs are met? Yeah, you you absolutely nailed it. Absolutely nailed it. Uh, I'm working with a lot of companies right now that are in this exact situation, um, and 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 it's twofold. One is the pandemic came up in such a way that some companies reacted quickly and started sending people home in in early March. Some 
did not realize it would be as long term. And they waited and they started sending people home late March, early April. In either case, uh, for lack of a better way of explaining it, shortcuts were taking simply because of the need to get it done quickly. You know, so if, the, if you were actually setting up a work at home environment or setting up a business, we would have spent more time looking at the tools, the resources, the, the, the physical parameters around the person working at home, security and access and all those types of things. A lot of those things were, were just taken for granted. There's so many people that were simply sent home. You know, they were handed a laptop or drop shipped a desktop. And some of them are using their cell phone. Some of them were, were handed edge, edge devices. And some of them were trying to VPN and they've never had to do that before. Uh, some of them were simply using the internet and they're in a house where maybe there's children or other demands on the internet and, and streaming going on. And, and we, we, we've heard so much frustration from the people who weren't normally work at home people. And so, so, so we have that, and I'm, I'm going to come back to that on, on, on how we deal with that. But now we're dealing with so many companies. I just did a, I just did a workshop last week. I have another one coming up in two weeks. Now we're having com- finding companies that did not have a large number of people working from home, but they're now starting to see the benefits of it. Mm. They're, they're, they're noticing increased morale. They're noticing increased productivity. They're noticing that their fears that they had about having agents work from home were false. They're, they're finding out that you can have accountability. You can have a collaboration and camaraderie and still have a person. They're, they're finding out what a lot of other companies figured out a long time ago. And that is given the right tools and resources to do their job, most people are more comfortable at home. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> they, they, they just are, you know, and when, I, and when I'm more comfortable, I'm more relaxed. When I'm more relaxed, I'm more focused. When I'm more focused, I'm delivering a better experience. And so, so, so getting back to your question, so how do you do that, right? One of the things we talk to people about is, is we, we cover it in a couple of different ways. Like I, I cover technology first. Make sure the person has what they need. Their, their, their work at home environment from a technical perspective should mirror as much as possible their in-office environment or better. If they have two screens when they're at the office, give them a big screen or two screens at home, right? Right. Two monitors. Talk to them about router access. Talk to them about the difference between using a Wi-Fi and using an, an, an Ethernet. Because some of the biggest frustration comes from employees who, when they're in an office and something happens with their equipment, they simply raise their hand or open a ticket. Somebody IT is in the building. They come along. They sit down at their desk. They fix the problem. It's a very lonely feeling when you're at home and the calls are piling up. You're looking at the stats of what you're not getting done. And, and, and you can't figure out why you can't hear the person on the phone. You can't figure out why you keep getting disconnected while you're talking. You, and you're not an IT person. You're, you're not, you know what I mean? That's not your forte. And you're, you're there in your home office or your living room or wherever you are. And there's no one. There's no one to physically come help you. So, so one of the things we tell people is, is first, just like the basics of making the cake, right? Get the technology right. Make sure they have it. And then make sure they have both an online and a verbal way to reach IT. We, I tell a lot of people, IT should be in a, in a chat group. And I don't care whether you use, you know, Zoom or Slack or, or brings, the, the brand doesn't really matter. They are relatively do the same thing, right? Whether you use Teams or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's a way for your employees to interact with other employees. There should be a group like that just for IT support. There should be a group just for supervisor support. 
you know, because now I'm interacting with someone, I need to, I need a supervisor. Again, usually I can look down and see my supervisor either walking the aisle or, or sitting at their desk at the end of the aisle or, or in an office, you know, and I could, I could, I could interact with them. I could put the person on hold. I can go walk down, ask a question, raise my hand, whatever. You don't have any of that at home. So you have to be more proactive with, with creating a culture of, of supervision and support when the, the person is at home. And, um, and, and I always say when, the, when, when you're talking work at home agents, almost over communicating is, is better because you, you, you can really combat that feeling that person has that I'm alone because we like the idea of working at home and being in a relaxed environment, but we don't like the idea that we don't have support at a, at a quick notice or, or, or beck and call, so to speak. So combat that. Uh, the other thing I tell people is whenever possible, use video. Uh, use video for meetings, use video for coaching sessions, use video for training sessions. Body language is so huge um, in communication, especially when you're in leadership and you have to coach someone on their phone call or you have to do a one-on-one -on -one just on their overall performance. You don't want them simply reading that in an email. You don't want them looking at a, a document you know, that you send them. You want them to have the nurturing comfort of seeing you when you're delivering that uh, information. So when it comes to the companies that are getting it right, those are the types of things we're seeing. And then of course, not forgetting the, you know, the, the happy hour pot lunch atmosphere. I, I have companies, one of my favorite, who actually they do a, a monthly luncheon with their staff and they, they send uh, Grubhub. Grubhub, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they send them Grubhub certificates once a month so the employee can kind of get, you know, the, the employee can order their lunch and have lunch while they're doing their town hall meeting with leadership on a monthly basis. Things like that are, are, are really good and they help. Gamification tools are very important. Um, those are the things that allow employees to see kind of like their stack rank against other employees. It allows them to share pictures and uh, do a little bit of social interaction. It's, it's not like a Facebook or something like that, but it'll, it'll, it'll allow them to have you know, that, that written communication and some visual interaction. They can do, you know, short little video calls and stuff like that. Those are things that help people feel uh, a part of the whole. Mm -hmm. and, and from what we understand, that's really the thing that they miss the most when they're working at home. And so we try to use technology to compensate for that. Absolutely. I think that I think that everything you said there was just absolutely spot on um, and uh, really mirrors a lot of what I've what I've experienced just uh, throughout different situations as far as working from home goes. I think that that um, that was a, a really good way of putting it. So I think just to bring everything full circle uh, and just to kind of tie the whole conversation together, the biggest thing to to note from this is that the, the quickest way to really drive customer satisfaction is to ensure that you have employee satisfaction. Right. And just as a, as a summary statement. Um, what would you add to that? You know, and just how would you summarize uh, our conversation today? I, I, I agree. I think the to me the, the the top driver, and unfortunately in some cases the most missed driver of, of customer satisfaction is is employee satisfaction. And employee satisfaction, just like we said in the beginning, um, should not be based on you treating the employee the way you want to be treated. There are a lot of companies where the leadership kind of grew up in the company. And some people even say, oh, well, when I was on the phone, you know, I, I, I like this or I like that. Or when I was in the field, I did this and I did that. And they create policies based on when they were doing that job. 
And not, not only is that is that counterproductive from the sense that the person isn't you, it's counterproductive just based on time. Mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm a leader in the the customer experience space now, but and and I I took calls. I grew up in a contact center. I, I took hundreds of calls a day on on various things, but I took those calls in the late '80s. The things that I did, <laughs> the tools that I had. Or, or uh, be, whatever comes after obsolete. I mean, they're so far, not, <laughs> you know, useless. So, so you have to adapt to, um, you know, adapt to the times and, and and treat treat your agents in a way where they know real morale and, and real improvement. And I and I and I'm gonna throw one last thing out there because this is this is the key mm-hmm. when it comes to customer uh, satisfaction or engagement and employee engagement. A huge miss. A lot of people are doing customer satisfaction, uh, and they're trying to use that to drive net promoter score. We already, we all, we all know net promoter is the biggest thing for businesses. It's how do you retain customers and, and keep customers and have your customer refer new customers to you. What we found though is CEB, which is customer effort CS customer effort score, is almost twice as effective at predicting net promoter score than customer satisfaction. So what we found is that customers and employees don't necessarily want to be wild. They don't want you to do the proverbial exceed their expectations. They just want it to be easy. Mm. Customers, customers want an easy experience with you. They don't want to have to jump through a bunch of hoops to get what they want. They don't want to have to check all the boxes when they have a simple thing. Employees are the, are the exact same way. Employees want you to tell them what's expected from them in their job, give them the tools they need to do their job, and check on them every now and then to see if they need anything. Right. You know, that's 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 really it. So if I can leave you guys with anything, I will tell you that customer satisfaction is driven by employee satisfaction. And both of them are based on how easy you are to deal with. I think that's some amazing advice to wrap things up today. So Brandon Knight, VP of Business Development at Tolaris, thank you so much for joining me today. This was a really fun conversation and uh, it's been extremely informative. And so Brandon, thank you again. Hey, you're welcome. Thank you for your time, man. It's actually been a great conversation. I appreciate the time. Absolutely. I had a blast. And everybody, I hope you enjoyed listening as well. For more podcasts just like it, make sure to check out the other podcasts that Talaris have done with uh, with MarketScale. You can head over to marketscale.com to find more of those podcasts or go to Talaris' website as well. We'll be back soon with more podcasts. But until then, I've been your host today, Tyler Kern. Thanks for listening.